Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 137 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen keeping up with the joneses is a phrase we're all familiar with and while we might not know exactly who the joneses are we all understand that it has something to do with comparisons in life And Kelsey Riggs understands the dangers of focusing too much on those comparisons. After playing soccer at Charleston Southern, she would leave her hometown of Charleston, South Carolina to pursue her broadcasting career in Myrtle Beach at WBTW, first as a news reporter and fill-in anchor, before moving into sports as the weekend sports anchor and reporter. The Queen City of Charlotte, North Carolina would welcome her on WCNC as a sports anchor and reporter where she also served as a key reporter covering the Carolina Panthers before she helped launch the ACC Network in 2019, where you can find her now as an in-studio host and sideline reporter. Our conversation with Kelsey Riggs. Kelsey, thank you so much. Yeah. I greatly appreciate you letting me obviously harass you a little bit and steal some of your time, right? (laughs) One thing, though... I used to live in Savannah, so I'm used to humidity, but my goodness, you just forget of how humid it can get. I mean, have when you made the transition to Bristol, did you quickly forget how humid it can be when you came back? Yeah, especially you picked a, a terrible day to see the humidity <laughs> here because, I mean, it is brutal. I'm lucky that my hair is not, like, flat on the side of my head right now. But, um, yeah, Bristol weather, a little bit different than Charleston weather. Look, I mean, I was in Charlotte before, though, so I got away from the humidity a little bit there. But every time you come back, it is a little bit of a reality. Yeah, and it's amazing just the difference. Like, I'm in Greenville. You lived in Charlotte. Just you know, a three, four hour drive makes a huge difference where, I mean, you can have seasons uh, or change of seasons, but here, Charleston, it's not. (laughs) It's pretty constant. It's pretty constant. I went out, I walked outside this morning with my coffee and immediately was like, I don't think that I want to have my coffee on the porch this morning. It was muggy. And then the muggy turns into buggy because in the mosquitoes and the bug. It's just not a good situation. But Charleston's beautiful. I mean, other than oh, it's the it's it the pros and cons. Yes. It's the trade offs, yeah. without a doubt. And that's why you know Savannah was similar to that. That we, I mean, just the history, obviously, like when Charleston, right. Savannah. I mean, it's the sister cities, basically. Yeah. So it loved the charm and all of that. But just being outside, as you mentioned, the bugs. 
the sand gnats, the no seams. I mean, those things will carry you off. They, <laughs> right? they will. My brother-in-law is from Seattle. And when he first moved down here, I mean, he could not sit outside. They would just eat him. And they don't, but when you're from here and you've been around it, they don't bother you as I much. I guess not. But see, I, for whatever reason, you never got I, I, I'm the magnet. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I'm sweet meat, whatever it see, is. See, I appreciate people like you though, because then they <laughs> yeah, come to you them. and they stay away from me. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah, I don't like that though. Well, again, thank you for your time and we know how important sports is because right now I mean that's the focal point that obviously uh, the seriousness of COVID-19 and the impact it has on people's lives and you know family members are lost uh, because of that so there's that obviously you know seriousness to the matter but the other side is how sports is just something that connects so many of us worldwide. And it's interesting that there's such an emphasis on when is sports going to be going again? You know, will we have normalcy, you know, with sports? And so I want to dive into why you gravitated towards sports and some of your earliest memories. So let's go down memory lane and, (laughs) you know, growing up in Charleston and, when you first started falling in love with sports and why? It's cool for me to do that, especially here, because I've been back home now since everything started with COVID. Um, flew back to Connecticut for like four days, realized it wasn't going anywhere, and came back to Charleston. So I feel like I'm reliving my childhood, like back in my childhood bedroom, like a high school kid staying with my parents, very far removed from high school. Um, so it's cool for me to kind of reflect on that, especially being here in Charleston. But I grew up a sports fan all of my life. I mean, I was playing soccer from as early as I can remember. I played softball. I was not good at softball. I was much better at sports with my feet. Um, my dad always wanted us to play golf, so we would do golf camps. I recently found out I'm actually a right-handed golfer, not a left-handed golfer, like I thought I was my whole life. Oh, okay. Now, how'd that come about I'm still then? terrible <laughs> because I was bad, and I just was always aggravated when I would golf. So are you left-handed, though? I'm left-handed. So you do I do everything always try- left-handed? I, I, uh, almost everything left-handed. I, I, I throw left-handed. I bat right-handed. In softball, again, which yes. I wasn't really good at. Maybe that was one of my problems. But then you tried too. to play golf left-handed growing up. I played up. golf handed, left-handed my whole life, and I just was never very good at it. And um, as an adult would play or go out to the driving range or in Charlotte, they have that uh, top golf. And sometimes I miss, and I would get so <laughs> aggravated, you know, another practice swing. But whenever you play golf, you're almost always playing with the right-handed person. So I'm like, give me that club. Let me try that. And I would try to hit it right-handed, and I felt like it was better. So anyways, I came home with my dad one time. We went and played nine holes. I'm like, I got to figure this golf swing out. And he's like, yep, I think you're right-handed. Sorry, maybe I should have <laughs> pushed that when you were Thanks, little. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I grew up always always playing sports. My, my dad was a big sports fan, played um, high school football. My mom played high school basketball. And so I don't know that there's one specific memory that I have of when it started because I just – always loved sports. I yeah, remember, it was just part of your family. It was. I remember going to game. I mean, just right down the road from here, going to River Dogs games, watching the baseball games here. Um, we would go to college baseball and college football games, soccer games with the Charleston Battery. And so it was just something that I always grew up loving and then being involved in it at a, at a young age, that um, competitive side of me just always wanted more. When did you sense that you were 
you had this competitive side. My older sister would probably say from the time I could walk because we were probably, I was probably trying to race her or do something. I mean, I just always wanted, I just always wanted more, whether it was sports or if we could turn something in into a competition. And, um, I mean, I played soccer competitively my whole life. So year round, always played soccer. And I think maybe when I got into probably like later in middle school, when I started playing on some of those more competitive teams is when I was like, yeah, this is, this is really fun. And like, what can I do to do more? It energizes you. It does. It does. And there's something that's so special, especially when you're older and you can reflect back on it about, you know, it's not just playing the game and it's not just the adrenaline from the competition or from winning or from a big save or a big goal or whatever the sport is. I think it's just the, the team side of it is so much more valuable than I ever realized. I played soccer at Charleston Southern and, you know, it was a dream to, to play college soccer. But now looking back on all that it taught me, whether it was the time management or the teamwork or setting goals, there's just so much that I think comes out of sports. And that's one of the reasons why people are missing it so that's much. Right. And the way that it unites people. Yes. Um, and as much as this has, you, you know, you said, been just a, a terrible time for so many people, I do think think that it's beneficial when you can find the bright sides, when you try to find the good in all of the bad. And it has been really cool just to see how much people realize, like, it is a lot more about than just wins and losses. It's it's about how people come together just for one simple game. I know. And it's amazing that when you say the wins and losses, I'm competitive as well. And yeah. believe me, I love winning. I, I mean, that's <laughs> great. And, and I carry that to a lot of things in my life, maybe right. to a fault at times. Uh, <laughs> but for me, sports was that you mentioned that connection, that ability to develop those relationships, but is also a, somewhat of a safe haven an escape for me as well, where I was able to experience and learn camaraderie mm-hmm. and learn love and acceptance, you know, and all of those different things that I feel growing up, I had a void because I never knew my biological father. Mm. And so my stepdad and mom were alcoholics, battled it, you know, their, my entire childhood. Mm-hmm. So it was that sports, you know, and especially the basketball. I mean, I could go up and down our neighborhood street all day long just dribbling a basketball right. or just going shooting, even by myself. But just being in that team side of things uh, and even other sports as well, it's just where I found, ah, okay, this feels good. This feels, you know, like, that I'm connected. And I, and I think that's what a lot of people around the world feel the same way, this whole connection thing. And I think it also, I, I agree 100% because it, it – it, allows us the opportunity to be connected in ways that we didn't know that we could be connected just through a simple game. But it also teaches you hard lessons too. It, it teaches does. you about adversity. It teaches that teaches you that things aren't always going to go your way and how to respond from that adversity. You know, you lose the biggest game of your life. Are you going to try and play again and train harder? Or are you going to pout in the corner because you didn't get your way or you didn't get the call? Um, you know, there's so many hot takes right now about the transfer rule in, in college sports and whether or not kids should be able to play immediately because of 
you know, do they need to sit out a year like the NCAA has it right now? Are they not learning about adversity? If, hey, I'm not getting enough play time, I want to go somewhere else. And, you know, whatever side of, of the fence you're on with that, I just think that there's so much that you can learn, A, from either going and playing somewhere else if you're going at a smaller school, or B, from sticking it out with that adversity and, and seeing what happens. But Yeah, because on either side, you're going to experience something different. Oh, yeah. Right? And I, I think that's also the uniqueness of sports that uh, all that you can learn from sports, but you have to be active in sports to experience some of those things that you can learn from. Right. So it's the irony of sports that you have to, you know, be in the game, so to speak, so you can experience some of those failures and then ultimately learn how to, you know, respond to those failures. And especially when you're young. I mean, I remember being yes. in, in high school and – you know, losing what you thought was the biggest game of your life, or I wanted to play all the sports, but I played soccer so competitively. I, I really wanted to play volleyball. I really wanted to run track. I just wanted to try it all. And I couldn't really because of soccer, but I did cheer as well because those would match up. And I just remember even though cheerleading was just something I did and soccer was my passion, like the stress and anxiety of, of trying to plan, like, I can't be late for this because I've got to be here and I don't want to disappoint this coach and I don't want to disappoint this team. There's just so many lessons, I think, that come out of it and so many good things. Not to say that if people don't want to play sports, then there's, you know, that there's something wrong or they're missing out. But I do think that there's so many um, benefits that, when we're young, we don't even realize we're getting just from any kind of sport. That's right. And so growing up for you, though, what was motivating you? Was it um, from a standpoint of you wanted to prove people wrong or prove people right that were supporting you? I think for me, it was more prove people right. I ha My family and I are so close. Um, most of them live in Charleston. And so when I decided I wanted to play soccer in college, I didn't decide until after my junior year when we when we lost in state finals. And I played, like I said, competitively and had talked to some college coaches and just never really – I wanted to go to South Carolina or to Clemson and go to one of the big football schools and enjoy football and maybe play soccer on the side a little bit. And so when we lost every day, I was like, wait, I just, all I want to do is play soccer. Is this what college is going to be like? I don't know my <laughs> life without this sport. And so that was when I started being a little more involved and, okay, maybe I do want to get in the recruiting process. And did I want to go to a bigger school and just walk on or did I want to go to a smaller school and maybe have a chance to do a little bit more? And um, when Charleston Southern offered me the scholarship, I was still kind of on the fence about what I wanted to do. I had one from Newberry as well, which wasn't too far. But ultimately, I decided I wanted to be here and play where my family could see me and play at a Division One school because I wanted those people that had supported me all my life to be able to continue to cheer me on and be proud of me. And, uh, and it was a great decision. I got so much out of being at Charleston Southern from the friendships and, and from what I learned there and soccer. Um, I coached just recently um, stepped down and so it's been really cool to kind of go down memory lane seeing that all he's done for so many players through the decades that he was at Charleston Southern as well but I just think back to that time and think back to having my family out there I can remember my grandfather coming out and watching me play and my coach is supporting me and so for me it wasn't so much as although I love the stories of you told me I couldn't do it so like let me prove you wrong for me, it's like, who can I try to just continue to make proud with what I'm doing? Yeah, and so you, you weren't as, like, I guess, 
going off of The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. And it seemed like he was always trying to prove. My God, I wish I was like that. I might be sitting in a different chair right now if I had that Michael Jordan. Like, who is out to get me? Like, who? what can I overcome? I loved also his, not to get off on a topic, a no, tangent, but like even early on when you see him and um, Isaiah Thomas, and he's seeing what Isaiah Thomas says about not shaking his hand. And he's still mad, like still, decades later. Like that is a ne- like next level like competitiveness. It is, and that's obviously why, I mean, he's able to be at a level that he is. And I think he's the most transcendent athlete we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, not just from the wins and losses out on the court, uh, but just from, I mean, just look at the impact. I mean, everybody is consumed by this. Granted, you know, we're in a certain situation where we don't necessarily have live sports or they're slowly trying to come back. But there's also this aspect, I think, with him that it seems like he's a little bit of a tortured soul in terms of he's so driven to prove people wrong or if you slight him, he's so driven to get one over on you, so to speak, that can he ever be happy? With I mean, six championships, yeah. and, but there was always he he had to have something that would continue to to drive him, and I think that's where can you cross the line just a little too far in terms of can it affect you negatively in your life? And I'm sure he probably felt like that at times. I mean, I know when they were doing the documentary, he was worried like people are not going to think I'm very nice watching this back, and and I didn't think it was too extreme, but also as much as it can be a negative, we see how for him it was a positive like yes he may have burned some bridges and yes there may be people that didn't like him but his goal at the end of the day was to be an incredible basketball player and to win championships That's it. and so i mean he accomplished his goals and and i think for him we get to see a really crazy inside look at some of the sacrifices that he made the to do that. Sacrifices. I think that's the key word, the yeah. sacrifices. But there was also I mean it, as it wrapped up, I mean he he made it a point that what I thought was interesting too is that in one of the reasons why he was driving his teammates so hard is that he wanted them to be with him and win. I mean it was not just hey, I'm Michael Jordan, I want to win. It's like, I want our team, I want you guys to experience what winning is all about. And But you have to be dedicated. Right. And you have to make some sacrifices, and this is what it looks like. And so I, I enjoyed that, and he doesn't apologize for who he is. <laughs> no, he doesn't, he doesn't. Right. And I just think it was so interesting to see that not just the sacrifices that he made, but how different the makeup of that team was. I yes. mean, the way that they were coached and and you see everything that Dennis Rodman did and was allowed to do and how Phil handled it, it just, I mean, in today's like day and age, it was mind-blowing because social media would have been going on fire if all of I mean, you could never do it, but it worked. And that's part of like understanding what it takes to be on a team and your players. And and I just, I mean, it was fascinating. I could watch it 10 times over. Well, when are we going to see your documentary, The Last I, Dance? Of- <laughs> right. I don't know who's going to want to do that, but maybe we can like home produce it while I'm here. I can get my sister to do it. That's right. You mentioned how close your family is. Give me some context of when you mean how close. Share some 
some stories of just how close. I mean, like, do you talk to your mom even when you're yeah. not obviously living back in Charleston? You talk to her every day. I mean, how, I do. How close? Yeah, we're really close. I talk to my parents probably every day. I have about a twenty-minute drive from where I live in West Hartford to Bristol, and so I usually call them on my way into work. Um, they watch every show that I do. They, uh, when I was in Charlotte and when I was in Myrtle Beach, my first job was in Myrtle Beach for three years, then Charlotte for three years. They had alarms set on their phones at like 6, 13, and then, you know, 11, 14, because that gave them enough time to log into the app, to get it up. And then that would, it would say Kelsey sports. And so they would, they would stream my sports. And so now they don't have to have the timer set. Our shows are kind of on different times on ACC network, but they're always watching. And so that's really nice. It's never something that I take for granted when I finish a show. I have a text from my dad that's like, great job. You looked really pretty. Or like my mom, like, Oh, nice job. I liked your dress. It, and it's silly just to see those little like words of affirmation from your mom and dad. But also on the days that I don't hear from them, I'm like, hello, did you fall asleep? <laughs> Are you there? Hi, it's me. Um, so we're, we're super your close. Middle child. <laughs> your middle child. Hi, right? tell me that I did good or tell me that I did bad. That's the thing I appreciate too. Cause they, my mom, will they tell you? Oh, they'll tell me. They'll tell in a nice way. Or my mom, the thing that she does that I love will, um, she's, she's so sweet and, and we're incredibly close. She'll be like, oh, you did so good. Have you got your hair cut recently? <laughs> Are you going to? Like, That's and then her I'm way like, of oh, I know it's time. Yes. <laughs> or, um, you know, my whole career, I've done my own hair and makeup. And then in Bristol, they have people that, that do it for you. And so that has been just a new experience. When I got there, they're like, what do you, what do they normally do for your hair and makeup? And I'm, I'm like, well, I'm lucky if I have time to put on lipstick after I'm sending my last thing two minutes and sprinting into the the studio, putting my microphone on. And so that's been quite the experience, but they um, are so good that we'll try different things that I would never be able to try on my own. So I can always tell if mom likes it or not just by, by her reaction. But uh, yeah, they're great. And my sisters and I are super close. It's been cool being here in Charleston. My, my younger sister is seven years younger. So we've always been close, but this is the most time that we've ever spent together because she's back home as well until um, she's waiting to move for a new job. And so I went out um, yesterday for a few hours and was out on the beach and and she had something else to do, so she didn't go. And so I called her on my way home and I said, hi, um, this is the longest I think it's been in the last two months without us seeing each other. It's been like five hours. Do you miss me? Are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) So it's been good. My older sister's here. She's married. We're going to have a a little get together with her this weekend. So it's been really good. That's great. From a perspective of taking criticism, how has that been for you? I mean, are you open to that? Are you defensive about it? Uh, And how do you take that feedback to improve? I love feedback. Um, It's been, for me especially, I think I've gotten a ton of feedback while I've been at ACC Network, which has been fantastic because to me, you don't know what you're doing wrong unless someone necessarily tells you. You don't know what you can do better unless someone gives you advice and maybe their advice isn't necessarily right. You take it or you leave it. But for me, the more people say, do this, don't do this. I noticed that. I didn't notice this. Um, there's little ticks that people have that you don't notice sometimes. Like I don't notice if I'm saying this one word or if I'm doing this one thing with my hand necessarily. Even when I watch myself back, I may not notice it just because I'm paying attention to other things. So I love feedback, and I just think that that goes back to being a former athlete. 
I mean, I wanted to know what I could do better to to get better at the next level. And if a player, I was a defender, if a player, you know, blew by me and beat me, what I did wrong and how I can prevent that next time. And so for me, I probably almost sometimes crave it too much. I know my um, college football um, sidelines team that I was with, with Chris Cotter and Mark Hertzlick, our producer, would um, Evan Cohen was fantastic, is fantastic, and would always break down what we did maybe on Monday we would talk about it. He would give us a the clip of the game and we could watch it back and he would send us some feedback. And he would always say, I love how much you guys love the feedback because I do. And especially with sideline reporting, this is my first year doing it last year. So I was like, tell me anything. I, I want to know yeah, everything. Yeah, I'm going to be a sponge here. Yes, yes. So I, I enjoy feedback. Um, and definitely, like I said, you take it or, or leave it depending on who it's coming from. I mean, if it's someone on Twitter that's telling me something totally, oh, yeah, that's totally <laughs> different, right? Yes. <laughs> that's a whole different, that's like entertaining feedback yes. sometimes, but yeah. I've been pretty lucky with that too. People, people are, are, are almost always nice. So why did you want to be a sports broadcaster? I can remember being in like middle school, I mean, in elementary school, uh, Harborview Elementary School and sitting there and being the one that got to read the morning news and thinking it was like the coolest thing in the world. And my parents coming in just to watch me read the news. And so I really loved it at a young age, uh, doing stuff with the news. I loved sports. I really fell in love with broadcast journalism in high school. My broadcast journalism teacher, her name was Miss Miley, and she was just phenomenal. She just really helped empower, like, all of the ideas that I had and things that I wanted to do. But I'm not super political. I mean, I, I try to stay out of that as much as I can. And so when I was applying for jobs, I knew I wanted to do sports. But um, I applied to news jobs as well. I said I would do whatever I could do to get my foot in the door. You just wanted to get in. I just wanted to get in. Like somebody give me some kind of job. I mean, I was working at Live 5 here as a production assistant, literally handing people their microphones and their scripts and saying, like, what can I do? What can I learn? Also that I could be an employee there and go out with the sports guys as an employee if they needed me to shoot something. Um, and so I just continued. Like, my first job was in news. And I was a news reporter and an anchor for a year and a half before I got to start doing sports, which if there's anyone, I always, if they come to me, like, how do I break in? I always tell them, consider it, because it gave me an incredible foundation of how, you know, if you can talk about elections and car wrecks and fires and all of these things and get the foundation, you can talk about sports. You can transition that very easily. You have all the skills, and now you just get to talk about something that I think is more fun. So uh, I always knew that I wanted to do sports. I just feel like I had a passion for broadcast journalism, and then I had a passion for sports. I knew I was never going to be a professional athlete. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now, hence there's the hope. No, hence the no, like, last dance documentary about me. We weren't going to get that. But um, I, I think it was just a way to be able to con combine both of them. And um, I think it's a really cool platform to be able to have the opportunity to to talk about sports and and sometimes you can do much more than just sports. I was just at a, a, a fundraiser for Debbie Gantinelli that she did for Special Olympics. Oh, uh, nothing but net. It's amazing. I mean, she she raised she over hundred fifteen thousand dollars just it's literally in her front yard. 
shooting hoops. And so that's the part of it that is just a whole nother side where when people are able to use whatever platform they have for something like that, I just think it's incredible. So I haven't been able to do something on that scale yet, but um, I, I think that that would definitely, definitely be the dream down the road. I don't even know if I could shoot free throws for an hour now. I couldn't. <laughs> she was doing like straight? burpees and shooting to practice. Yeah, it was, it was impressive. It really was. I, I've had her on the podcast and she was fantastic. Fantastic, and I think she's doing a great job. Yeah, you know, with all of the what she's doing for Special Olympics here in South Carolina. Then, from for your perspective, uh, the the next step for you, you start getting into sports. What was it like moving to Myrtle Beach? Though you're leaving Charleston, you haven't. I mean, this is the first time <laughs> that you leave, right? Yeah, yeah, because because I went to college here, and so I applied for jobs literally all over the country. I mean, when I tell you, I probably made a hundred resume tapes and sent them out to news and sports jobs. How tough was that? Oh, it's, sending all of that out. But I mean, what type of feedback were you getting? Nothing. Were you, getting you don't get anything. Or, it's terrible. You think like I'm never going to get a job. And and I've heard I've t- I tell this story to people all the time when they're asking because it's like you hear nothing for months, and then all of a sudden you're going to get three calls in a row. I mean, it's just I, I it just once one door opens, I feel like it leads to other things. And so yeah, I was just blindly sending resume tapes out to like Bakersfield, California and Alaska and Montana and all these so places that I So you're ready to I move didn't. wherever. I don't know that I was ready to move, but I if if <laughs> you I wanted got, somebody to just I at wanted, least offer you a job, yeah, right? <laughs> I, and I would have moved. I don't know that I would have been ready to be in all of these places, but if they offered me, I was going to go. So to that point, one of the jobs that I applied for uh, was in Oak Hill, West Virginia. And the way the markets work with, with local markets, obviously. So New York and, and those are number one. And then the 200s are the smaller markets. And so this was market 154. They did not have, um, live trucks. They didn't have the ability to go live. Everything you went, you would shoot and bring back to the station. Their news director was also the the main anchor. It was just a very small station, but they were offering me the opportunity to be um, an on-air news reporter. So I went there. They were telling me all about the job. Um, I think that they offered me um, $17,500, and I was like, can you give me $1,000 more? And they're like, nope, that's all we have. And I was going to – I was all in. I mean, I don't know how I was going to even afford to buy, like, ramen noodles and toilet paper, but I was going to do it. You get a job opportunity, um, you do it. And I remember telling – I went down for the interview and, and you know, was on my way and told them that my sister was getting married and that I needed off for the wedding. And they said that that would be fine. And so I was ready to accept it. Well, when they made me the offer, they wanted me to start sooner than I expected. And they wanted me to miss my sister's bachelorette party, which is, you know, not the end of the world. But hopefully my sister's only going to get married once. That's the plan. So we're only doing one bachelorette party. (laughs) And they didn't want me to miss it. They, They said, no, you can't do that. We told you you could have off for the wedding. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was dev, I, I was like, I, I can't say no to this job, but I can't not go. We've already got tickets booked. We're going to Vegas. Who's going to skip Vegas for their first job? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And so I didn't know what to do. And I talked to a lot of people about it. And I I just had to tell them that I couldn't do it. And I cried like a baby afterwards because I had spent months trying to get a job, finally heard back from somebody. They wanted me and people would tell me, that's not the type of person that you want to work for right now if they're not willing to budge at all. This was, I'm talking like a week later I wanted to start. And so I cried and cried and cried. And um, that was on a Wednesday. And two days later, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina called me 
offered me the job. Now I was going to be three hours away from my family instead of seven hours away. They offered me more money. Like in, so in two days, I felt like I had just gotten rich, but, and I was still not going to be able to afford ramen noodles <laughs> exactly. at that point, which is fine because I love ramen noodles. I could live off of that. Maybe macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and cheese. Yeah. I, I, I got ramen to, noodles. I, maybe I got up to macaroni and cheese just one time a week, though. And so it was just such a lesson for me. And sometimes we, we don't realize that the opportunity that we think is the right one may not be. There may be something else out there. I mean, I didn't think that I would ever get the opportunity again. Who knew if I was ever going to get the call? I was going to have to send out a hundred more resume tapes. And then just by being patient and and trusting my gut, it turned into an opportunity that seemed like a, a much better fit for me at the time. So, it it took a long time, and then I was in Myrtle Beach doing news for a year and a half and, and eventually was able to move into sports in Myrtle Beach, which was um, quite the opportunity as well. But I just think I always tell people out there, just be open-minded because, yes. I mean, you just you, – you really never know, and you don't know what the next opportunity is waiting around the corner either. That's right. It's, it's interesting, though, just going back to the one employer that was not going to let you go to the bachelorette party – it just boggles my mind at times just how rigid some people are and some companies are just with something like that. It, I, I, it just They lose talent right. or they can't keep talent because of their rigidity and, and, and can't you know, evolve with the times. I think that there no, – I don't want to say that there's nothing more valuable, but it is incredibly valuable to work for – an employer and with people, with the team that that value you, that also value your time, and that understand that there is more to life than just that job. Whereas we all want to do a good job. We're talking about how competitive we are. Um, it's been incredibly rewarding to be part of ACC Network. And for you know the first six months, everyone would say, how's it going? What do you think? What is this? And the one thing that I could always couldn't stop talking about was the people. I was just like, I am so blown away by the people that they've hired to be a part of this network and how quickly everyone got along and hit it off from, you know, the people that are helping cut our video and do our graphics to our producers, to the on-air talent, to our bosses. I mean, it is just, I have felt spoiled. I mean, we go, when we were at the ACC tournament and we have um, dinners and it is literally everyone from top down that is invited to these dinners and coming out. And and I said something about it and and, and somebody said, it's not always like this. And uh, so I'm, I'm jaded. I'm, <laughs> I think like, it's, everybody <laughs> always gets along and loves each other and, and works together really well. And so it has been incredibly rewarding at ACC. CC Network to be part of a team where the, it's just good people and you enjoy working together and you enjoy the people that you're with. And I think that that makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference because, I mean, you're spending a lot of time, and especially in sports broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other side that we talked a little bit about, you know, sacrifices. I mean, there's a lot of sacrifices for somebody that's in sports because sports are at night, sports are on the weekends. I mean, it's nonstop. So, I mean, if you're going to be in a situation, you want to be surrounded by people that you enjoy and that are going to lift you up as well. And so you can have an experience that 
all right, if I'm going to be with them, at least I'm enjoying it, right? Oh, 100%. When I uh, started college football sidelining reporting this season, I remember the first call that we had, our producer, Evan Cohen, was saying, "This we're going to be a family this year, so get used to it because you're on the road every weekend. My My schedule during college football season was – in Bristol, Monday for a show, in Bristol, Tuesday for a show. Wednesday was my day off, but it started with a like a 9 a.m. call to talk about my uh, story ideas for the games that I was going to cover. And so that was my day off Wednesday, but that's okay because I wanted to do it. Thursday I would travel, Friday production meetings with coaches and players, Saturday the game, Sunday was my day off, but I'd travel back to Bristol. And so that takes, you know, three days basically to do because you can't get to Bristol (laughs) on a one-way, a a one-stop trip anywhere. And so that was half the day. And then Sunday I'd want to watch NFL football, but I'd also want to look at stuff that had happened with all the games I wasn't at from the ACC because then I was going to talk talk about a Monday. And so, yeah, you talk about sacrifices. The first five weeks I'm calling my mom like, I don't even know when I can get groceries. Like, how do I do my laundry? Uh, Like, not how do I? No, I, to be fair, I You're know how to do my laundry. <laughs> how do I make time to do my laundry? And so, um, yeah, it was, again, a, a good lesson in time management. And, you know, I, the, the first week of sideline reporting, I thought that I had to know, like, the grandmother's, thir- you know, name of the third string cornerback. Yeah, how and are you preparing? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, okay, it's okay if I don't know every Everything, detail yeah. about, you know. But the, you wanted fourth- to know all of those details. Oh, I wanted to know. Just so you could be prepared, right? Yeah, well, because you never know if this guy gets hurt and then this guy gets hurt. And this cornerback actually used to play quarterback in high school, so he might be the one that's thrown in. And and so you just always, especially with sideline reporting, it's, it's as much uh, about what you're doing there and being the eyes and ears on the sidelines as it is being able to provide a little, I think, of, you know, a little nugget of information maybe that is unforeseen or something. What can you add to the broadcast? Because whoever's in the booth, they're going to do a phenomenal job and call the game like no other. That's what they're there for. So what can I add? And so, yeah, I was definitely over-preparing, but I would rather, I I still to this day over-prepare because I, it's me, it's very important to me to be over-prepared and to know more and to make sure that if things are going one way, that I'm ready to, to comment on that as well. And so um, I figured out a balance, though, of not having to know, you know, about the grandmother's high school from, you know, 19, whatever, and still be able to feel like I'm over-preparing and figure out how to do my laundry. Yeah, and and, (laughs) exactly. The most important thing, right? you got to have that laundry done. And from a sideline reporter perspective, so share just what that experience is like the first time that you're doing it, because you mentioned this is your first year. I mean, how nerve-wracking was that? This is a little bit out of your comfort zone, I suspect. And just, I mean, are you running around? How much? It seems like you guys are always on one side and then you're on the next side. Yeah, and, and it just it seems like, gosh, the one time I come to this side and then the other team does something and I wish I was on that <laughs> side, so then I'm running over there. Um, hey, but that's soccer, though. That's how <laughs> soccer is. Yeah. Right? The ball goes here, the next thing yeah, you know. Yeah. That's why I didn't like soccer too much. <laughs> too much running. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it was nerve-wracking for sure. It, for me, nerve-wracking and just incredibly rewarding, just even thinking back to it right now. Um, what do you say rewarding? It was just a dream that I had for so long. I mean, to to work for 
ESPN, to be a sideline reporter, to have an opportunity like I do with the ACC Network. I think anybody that gets started in in sports, a lot of people, that is the dream. And you have no idea if you're ever going to get there or if it'll be what you think it is when you do because the grass is always greener on the other side. And um, so incredibly rewarding for me. I just remember it was Boston College. I was at Boston College for my first game. Uh, Boston College, Virginia Tech was our first game of the season. And so I remember getting ready to do my first live hit. And it's just the same as every other live hit that I've done for for – TV for the last seven years. I mean, I'm still just talking and I'm still just talking (laughs) about football, but you do know. And I, so I tried not to think about it until after I did that first hit, but, um, and then I think the gratitude that I felt was more probably the day after. I mean, I, I remember that day because we, my crew was the four o'clock crew usually. So we'd either have the three o'clock or the four o'clock game. And so I would get up and I would do some more prep that morning. We would have our final meeting before everybody would have to, to go to the um, stadium. And then we would, Chris, Mark, and I would have a little bit of time still at the hotel before we had to go over later. So do a little more prep that morning, watch a little college game day, try to not think about the fact that this is going to be my first time sidelining and what am I going to do right and what am I going to do wrong and what am I not going to know? And um, definitely nervous that morning. I just remember talking to my parents and and praying and being like, please just like, let me not be so nervous. Let me get through this and realize that this is a great opportunity. I'm just talking about football. And if the thing that is cool about what we do, not necessarily with sideline reporting, but with, with live TV is you just got to move on. I mean, whether you, do, it, you can't think about it, whether right? it's the best thing you've ever done or the worst thing that you've ever done, you've got to move on because it's live TV and you've got another hit coming up or the play, the ball is snapped. And, and so, um, the thing that is unique about it is if you have an opportunity to do a really great hit or really bad hit, you're going to do one more in a couple more minutes and, and be able to learn from it. So rewarding for sure, just because it was something that I had dreamed about and wasn't really sure if that would ever, um, you know, come to fruition. You work hard and you hope that you get the right opportunities. And I was really incredibly blessed to get the opportunity that I did with ACC Network. And so I think throughout my career, it's something that I've always tried to appreciate, no matter what stage of my career I've been in. And I know sports obviously built you and shaped you for that because that's sports. You might make a mistake oh, or right? you might score, but it, hey, next play. It's, it's, you got to change. I mean, you got to be ready for what's coming next. Right. You know, you can't dwell on what you just did, bad or good. It's, it's the next play. How did the ACC network come about? How, how did that happen <laughs> that you got that job? People always um, ask me this now and ask me about, oh, do, should I get an agent? What should I do? Should I start in local? Should I not? And everybody's situation is so different and everybody has a, a unique perspective on what you should do. But my um, opportunity with ACC Network started, I just was laying on my couch talking to my older sister on the phone one day in Charlotte and the um, ACC tip-off was coming to Charlotte the next day. And I think I was working by myself that day. So the Panthers had practice. We had ACC media day and there was something else. And so I was going to Panthers. I was going to try to get over to the ACC media day, but also in local news, you can get it from somebody else or pull it off the wires if you have to. So I was going to do that if I needed to. Laying on the couch talking to my sister on the phone and I looked in my personal email. I had um, an email that said ACC tip off. That was the headline. And I thought, who is this from 
Syracuse, New York, that wants me to get them a Vosot from video and sound from Bayheim and send them something. I have other, just being a sour sports person, like I'm going to the Panthers. I don't even know if I'm going to be there during Syracuse. And then I open the email up and it's uh, from one of the head talent um, recruiters at ESPN saying, hey, are you going to be at the ACC tip off? I would love to sit down and chat with you. First of all, I thought I was getting punked. I'm like, who is this? Immediately Googling the name and can't find very much on him. So I'm like, who's who found my email address and is is playing me right now? And then second of all, I was like, is this real? I cried again. I'm not, I swear I don't cry, but just like not crying. I just had like tears in my eyes of like, is this real? Yeah. Like, did am I really just sitting here like with my feet up in the air, laying on the couch, talking to my sister and somebody from ESPN just contacted me after seven years in this industry of hoping one day I would hear from somebody like that and hoping that I wasn't getting punked because then that would feel really silly being so excited about it. And so I um, had that meeting and all I heard the whole time was, yeah, somebody saw, you know, somebody here saw you and told us about you. And so it wasn't until months later I found out that um, it was one of the ESPN executives, Stephanie Drooley. Her mom lives in Charlotte um, because of the Ballantine offices there. I mean, I don't know that's why, but Stephanie was there a lot because ESPN has SEC Network in Ballantyne as well. And she watched me and had been watching me on TV for the years that I was there and and told um, Stephanie that she thought that I was good. And then Stephanie watched me and she liked me and told somebody else. And here I am. It's which amazing is how uh, just wild. one little connection and it can lead to something like that. And, and that's why I always tell people the one thing that I say when they ask me, what should I do is – you never know who's watching. That's right. And and that doesn't mean that in a way that you should always, um, I mean, you should always do your best no matter what, but you never know who's watching, whether that's a child that looks up to you, whether that's, yeah, maybe you are in the middle of nowhere, Oak Hill, West Virginia, but you don't know whose family lives there that maybe could be watching you to give you your next big break. You don't know who's watching you around you and, and the connections that we have. I mean, for me, it is important to be just as nice to the person who's number one at ESPN as it is the person who is literally like taking out the trash because again what they think about you matters and I think if you have an opportunity to make someone else feel like they matter to you as well I just think for me that is far um, a, a far bigger opportunity and I get more gratitude out of that than anything. And you just never know down the road what that person's going to be doing or who they know or who they don't know. Or So for me, I just tell people, you never know who's watching. And so do the best that you can all the time and make a good impression because you never know when it might pay off or when it may, when it may backfire. That's right. Yeah. You got to be careful of how you treat people because you treat them negatively. That could impact you down the road in a negative way that you're not really aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and obviously the flip side on the, on the positive side as well. From a feedback perspective, you mentioned you enjoyed the feedback, but how much are you going back personally and watching your own tape and evaluating yourself? I mean, is that something that you do on a routine basis? Yeah. So when I first got into the industry, it was like incredibly painful to hear your stuff back and to hear your voice when I would have to do a package. Very tough. Oh my gosh. You're like, what, what is that sound? Like, why do I, I sound like a man. Like, <laughs> so, uh, I had to get used to my voice for sure as everybody does. And then, um, you know, you, like I said, you notice little things that you do or little ticks that you have, but I almost always watch myself back, whether it's, I record the shows. And so, um, sometimes I'll watch them if it wasn't too late of a show, I'll watch them that night 
night when I get back our games. Um, my producer would always give us a copy of the game, so I'd be able to fast forward through and find my spot or watch the whole game if I had time. Um, so I try to do it as much as I can. I actually, I'm, I thought the other day during quarantine, I'm like, if I start running out of things to read and do, I should just go back and watch all of them again. I mean, all these athletes and coaches are watching all of their game tapes over and over. Um, and I like to watch other people too. I like to see how people do things because again, I, I don't know necessarily that I'm doing something wrong or I could be do something, doing something better until I see other people in the way that they're doing it as well. So, um, I think there's a fine line of comparing yourself and trying to learn. Um, I always tell my sister when we're talking about things that, that comparison is the thief of joy. Without so a doubt. You can't, I can't sit here and compare my job or my situation or my life to someone else based on where they are or their age or their status or what they have because then you don't appreciate what you have because you're just seeing that maybe the grass is greener and maybe it's not greener. Maybe it's just like you have your rose-colored glasses on. And so I think there's a fine line of watching others and trying to learn from them and also appreciating and acknowledging where you are right now. How long have you had that type of mindset? Because a lot of people can get lost in that, the whole comparison. You obviously heard it for Years and years keeping up with the Joneses, yeah. you know, that type of cliche. So how are you balanced like that? Though? Um, I think definitely within the last few years, I've tried to hang on to that and, and remind myself of that more. Because, I mean, when I was in local news, you wanted to be at the next level. And when I was in Myrtle Beach, I wanted to be in Charlotte. And when I was in Charlotte, I wanted to be regional or national. And you don't, if, if you, there's a fine line between balancing wanting to get to the next yes. level and working hard for it and having goals and, and aspirations, which is awesome and everyone should, and also appreciating where you are right now. So I think I've always tried to be mindful of it. I mean, when I got the job in Myrtle Beach, I was over the moon excited to be in Myrtle Beach. And I was there for three years. And I think towards the beginning of the three years, I started feeling like, okay, I think I've done every sports story that I could hear twice. And I think, <laughs> you know, at that point, I'd done it for three years. And I thought, how much more can I learn and grow here? Yeah. It's time for so me to move So did you proactively seek out to go to Charlotte? Um, or, were Charlotte you just, or were you just trying to move on from I was Myrtle just ready Beach. I was just going to move on my contract was coming up I was looking at jobs all over I had um interviewed for a job in Toledo Ohio and th those people were fantastic it was um just a sports station it, it wasn't um a like a news station with local sports it was actually a, a regional sports station and they were fantastic they kind of I had a mutual connection that had told me about them and um so they offered me the job but knew I wasn't looking yet and that I needed to look and, and see what else was out there first. So so I have great things to say about the Buckeye Sports Network because they um, let me spread my wings before they tried to lock me down. So I interviewed with them. I interviewed for a few other jobs. I went to um, Alabama, Birmingham, and uh, really liked that place as well. And, and they ended up offering me the job. And actually while I was on my job interview in Birmingham, uh, the news director from Charlotte called me and I had applied to that job two months prior and not heard a word. I had already given up on it. And so I had a missed call from a Charlotte number while I was on my interview in, in Birmingham. And uh, when I left that day and I listened to the voicemail, I thought, wait, 
What? Exactly. How, how crazy the is timing. life like that, right? <laughs> it was wild. So I, I didn't seek Charlotte out. I was looking everywhere. But as I said, when I was in Myrtle Beach, Charlotte was a dream growing up in South Carolina to get to cover the Panthers and the Hornets and, and so many sports that I liked um, since we don't have professional sports in South Carolina. So uh, it, it worked out. It worked out well. How difficult is it from a um, social standpoint dating I mean with all your traveling and the moves that you had how how tough is that it's hard that's another thing where when you talk about sacrifices that's definitely one and it has been I think rewarding for me to see some of the other women who are in sports who just do such a rock star job balancing all that and and show you that you can do and have it all I got to shadow um Allison uh, Williams this year and she had just recently had a child and was balancing her baby and all her mom duties and sports and in her interviews and you would have no idea that she had everything going on the side that she did that I got to see behind the scenes not in a negative way going on but just with the baby and she was still just incredible um that was at a game at Clemson but so you see females like that that I think show you you can balance it all but it is it's a sacrifice it's like oh I have you know, we'd stay at three off. Are you available? Or I'm going to be in town for 24 hours. So I've, you know, dated throughout my whole career. It's definitely different now um, just because this first year for me was a completely different schedule. Anybody in, in journalism is going to tell you the schedule is wild, especially with sports, because like you said, hey, if you want to be in sports, you want to work Saturday and Sunday. Those are when the big That's games are. That's part of are. when it is. Yeah. So this year for me, I just wanted to be as all in as I could and focused on my job and try to figure out how to also have time to do my laundry and my groceries <laughs> and be a responsible, functioning adult. And... um I, I mean, even comes down to like when I moved to, to Connecticut, I haven't even really gotten to explore it like I wanted to yet just in that first year because I was so all in and wanted to be overprepared. And so I think there is a timeline that's different for everybody and figuring out how you manage that and how you manage your time and, and what's important and, and having a family one day and also having a very successful career are two things that are that are very important to me. But um, right now, I think it is a little bit about figuring out the balance of how to do it all. Yeah, I was going to ask you in terms of, are you putting any pressure on yourself? Are you in terms, like, all right, I want to be married by this time. I want to have kids by I'm this age. Or are you just, again, just making sure not to get too consumed about timelines and deadlines necessarily as much as my life is all about timelines and deadlines and sports um i'm honestly not i have always known i mean family is as we've i said feel like you know beaten to that drum all day long now is incredibly important to me so i i do one day want to have a family and i do want to be a mom that's another dream of mine but um, it just goes back to, I think, comparison is the thief of joy. And right now, that's I'm at a point in my life where I, I'm not quite ready for that yet. I'm all in on, on work. And I can look at other people who have that and have a little bit of both or have the mom life and not the career life and have, you know, I think it depends on what's, which chair you're sitting on. You might say, oh, I wish I had that life or oh, I wish I had this. Um, and so I just try to be present. I don't have a timeline. I'm not 
is not next year or <laughs> next week or definitely it's not right now during quarantine because I don't know who's coming out of, <laughs> out of quarantine exactly. with uh, a new I mean people might be coming out of quarantine with babies actually but I would imagine so <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I try not to, as much as my life is about timelines and deadlines I try really not to put too much of a, a deadline on that because I just think that then um, you might be doing it for the wrong reasons or, or sacrificing or settling for things that you aren't necessarily ready for. Agreed. 100%. All right. So I got to see the shoes. <laughs> Let me see what you've got today. So I wish that I had these are I've been living in these because when I came down from Connecticut, I, you know, I packed a terribly. I brought a bunch of sweaters to come to Charleston. Where it's 90 degrees. We've already talked about that. It's too hot. It's too hot. And so I've been living out of my sister's closet and I only brought like three pairs of shoes. I thought I would be here for like maybe a week or two. So of course I had to bring, uh, uh, one of my Jordan ones. Those, that's my favorite shoe ever made. These are from the All Star game that was in Charlotte. They came out right around that time and they did a raffle with different shoes in an auction. Um, cause I think they only made like 300 pairs. So I should probably not wear these. I should probably keep them in a box. Box somewhere, but I do. I wear yeah, those them. Are collectors' items. Yeah, but they're collectors on my feet now. They'll never. <laughs> if I ever um, need to sell them, they probably won't sell for very much because I just wear them everywhere. I got to go to the World Cup, which was a dream last year, and watch the Women's World Cup. And I brought these shoes because I said they're red, white, and blue, and I'm going to wear them everywhere. Again, probably not what most people who are big shoe fans do. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, because most <laughs> shoe fans they have them in the boxes. Still. In the box, yeah, 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 yeah. But see, for me, what's the point? I, well, I, I struggle with that as well, but see, I remember as a kid when Air Jordans first came out, because mm-hmm. that's when I was in middle school, high school, and so I had all of the Jordans when they came out, and I'm trying to tell my kids about that, and my uh, 18-year-old, he, he loves shoes uh, as well, and he's like, yeah, why didn't you keep them? Like keep them. I wore those things <laughs> yeah, out to, to the ground. <laughs> to, yeah. Yes, those things are long gone, and you couldn't even recognize them after I got done with them. Uh, but I do think back: what would I have done if I would have kept one of those original pairs that I got, you know, in 1985? I mean, that would that would have been a nice little collector's item you you, know, from that you'd standpoint. You'd be happy to have it now for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, ex- Especially after the last dance. Oh, of course. Yes. I mean, now, I mean, the values of all of those are increasing. When did your shoe, uh, I shouldn't say fetish, (laughs) right? But the Kelsey's kicks, you know, when did all that? Sounds better to say shoe fetish than foot fetish, so I'm okay with that. Um, You know, I always have been a big shoe fan. I, I don't know that I was always quite as obsessed as I am now. I remember in college, like, always air I loved Air Maxes and so I would always like a, a new pair of Air Maxes to wear out to the game I mean wear out to the field because you don't wear your cleats you got to walk across the road so um, I'd have my socks up and a different pair of tennis shoes and and I think just being athletic I mean I lived in tennis shoes I, 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 I do like a good pair of high heels but if I can find a cool pair of tennis shoes I'm all about it so I think I really went all in on it and be, it became a problem, a healthy problem. <laughs> the first the first part is admitting that you have a problem, right? That's step one. Um, when I was in Charlotte, I, I was covering the Panthers and, you know, lugging all my luggage, I mean, all my gear, the camera, the tripod up this hill to cover practice and then anchoring later. So you dress nice and you wear heels and and I very quickly realized if I was carrying all this gear around and standing out in the hot sun, I was not going to be wearing those kind of shoes. And so um would just find ways that 
I could wear like a dress with some cool tennis shoes and not look like I was about to go run a marathon in a dress. And um, I think Coach Rivera was one of the first people. I always like jokingly blame him for getting me quite as obsessed with shoes as I am because he would walk into practice and he'd be like, "Mm, nice shoes. And the next day he'd be like, oh, purple shoes. And so then some of the players would say something about it. And I was like, heck, they might not know who I am, but if they realize that the girl with shoes is here every single day um, when maybe other people aren't, because at that time, all the beat writers were always there, but we were so, all of the news stations so short-staffed, we couldn't always be at practice, but I was like, I'm going to be there every day until they know me. I'm going to work really hard, and maybe all they know first is the girl with the shoes shows up, but later they'll see, oh, she does a good story. Oh, she asks good questions. Oh, she works really hard. She's always carrying her own stuff and showing up, and so I blame Coach Rivera jokingly um, because then I would call my family and say, I gotta have a new pair of shoes. He's already talking about these pink shoes. I can't wear these. Now I've got to get these. And thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach. Yes, yes it's hitting yes. my checkbook now. I, oh, I know he's gotten other people's shoe deals, so I feel like he should probably like I should be like, Coach, can you get me a shoe deal? Because now you've started this obsession. <laughs> but that was part of it for me, just really wanting to. I mean, you do whatever you can to, you to get a little edge. Well, and there's also that aspect. It's not always about you know being heard and being you know the the voice and you know trying to come in there and. Right. I'm going to make sure that they hear me. And but a lot of times it's just being seen and it's just the subtle thing, something like that, that can make you be seen, but not in an outlandish way. If that That's what I was going to say. And being seen for the right reasons. Yes. I didn't need to be the girl that was like it wasn't about being, oh, the girl with the shoes. It was like, wait, that girl's here again. Wait, she's here at the beginning of practice. She's here at the end of practice. She's asking us questions. Who is this new girl that's coming to the meeting that no one else is? And um, there was a meeting that Coach Rivera did every Friday, and it was just the beat writers that went. And um, there were no cameras. And I kept seeing, when I got to Charlotte, my news director told me, like, I think there's a huge opportunity for us to do more with the Panthers and to really try to be, you know, the news station that goes all in on the Panthers. I want you to be that reporter. I want you to go after it. I want you to develop relationships. And so I took it really seriously. And so on Fridays, I would see people tweeting out, Luke Keekley has cleared the concussion protocol or Cam Newton is doubtful because of his shoulder. And I'm like, where is this information coming from? And what the the PR sent out, there was there was only availability on Thursday. So I reached out to to PR, and they said, oh, we have you know a meeting, but there's no cameras, and and it's just kind of like that. And I said, can I come? I mean, I won't bring my camera. I just like I just want to I want to know what's happening. And so it was really funny. The first time I showed up, it's just you know a round table that they were sitting around, and I have no idea how how they do it now. This was two years ago, three years ago round table they were sitting around and it was coach Rivera and, and maybe five beat reporters and the two PR people and then I was there and I could tell when I when coach walked in he kind of you know he's used to his crew that's there all the time and so just kind of maybe maybe noticed me and then the next week um I was back there again and I went to sit down and some, one of the the other guys just kind of pulled up a chair beside me as well and kind of was blocking bet- the pa- the eyesight between coach and I and I hadn't been there very long and and so in Charlotte very long covering the Panthers. But when the other guy kind of pulled up the chair, coach said, um, oh, you're blocking Kelsey. Wait, what are you doing? You're blocking Kelsey. And I'm like, <laughs> he knows my name? Yes. <laughs> How does he know my name? But I'm sure because, uh, I mean, I think the world of Coach Rivera, I'm sure he walked out of that first meeting and said, who's that girl that was there that I've been seeing and, and because it was different. And so um, – for me, it was just investing time and energy and then sitting around that table. He'd be like, oh, those look like shoes Cam Newton would wear. What are you doing? Those are 
terrible. But he, I think, helped teach me a lot inadvertently, like not even meaning to, just about when you take the time to show up and it can pay off later. That persistence. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And that comes from sports also, mm-hmm. right? Words of wisdom. What phrases, mottos, quotes, or even just life advice? I mean, you've shared some uh, throughout, but is there anything that you know has really stood out you know, for you that you really lean on? I think, yeah, two of them we've already, already talked about would be comparison is the thief of joy, and then you never know who's watching. I think that those are important, that you treat everybody the same. Um, one of the things that I love is, is something that um, – I, I learned from my dad's father, my grandfather. I actually said it years ago at his funeral was that I hope that we could learn to see the beauty amongst the chaos of everyday life, like my grandfather. And it's always been something that has stuck with me, but I feel like has really resonated because if you can take this opportunity of what we've experienced with COVID and the coronavirus and so many people getting sick and, and death and losing their jobs and the uncertainty and the uncomfortableness of not knowing knowing what's next and take that chaos and try to find the beauty and the blessings in it, I think it goes a long way. I think it makes us come out of it, appreciating so much more all the things that we had that we took for granted. I mean, I've talked with athletes and I've said, what is the one thing that you're not going to complain about? Like the early morning runs or the weightlifting that you did? Because right now we're all yearning for all of the things, even that we hated about life or job or work or, or family or anything. Um, so I think beauty amongst chaos is, is one that has definitely resonated lately with me. I think that's so appropriate for right now. Cause I would agree 100% that there's, an opportunity that there's some positive things that can come out of this and we need to really focus on that rather than just the negative side and what we are losing what can we gain from this and hopefully people will you know try to look at it from that standpoint as well yeah i told uh, i had a player aaron matson she is um now the ACC Female Athlete of the Year. She's just a sophomore. Uh, she plays for North Carolina, plays field hockey there, and um, was the National Player of the Year. I mean, she's just outstanding. And so we did an interview with her, and I was asking her something along the lines of, what would you, you know, what are you going to appreciate, and how are you going to take that throughout the year and hold on to that? And I told her a story that when I was in college, my junior year, we lost in the state I mean, not in the state, that was high school. We lost in the conference championship, and we were the second-seeded team. We were playing the seventh-ranked team. We were supposed to do really, really well. We were calling it best year ever and and um, had really high expectations. Then we lost in the first round, and there was a really just tragic photo of me that was taken as um, I'm laying on the ground just totally disheveled after this team has scored the goal. It was Radford and they are behind me. It's just me laying on the ground in a white Jersey and the girls, the whole team basically behind me cheering in these red jerseys. And so the contrast between the two of them was just like gut wrenching. And so I took that photo and I just took out the little place of me and and cut a rectangular um, square out of it and taped it up so that it was almost like a fake laminate job in my junior year, my off season. Every time I ran, every time I did my workouts, anything, I would run with it in my hand or in my sports bra or in my sock. And so that way, when I was ready to quit and just, you know, not wanting to do it anymore, 
that I would look at that and remember like what that felt like and what I was working towards. And I feel like in some weird way, this has can be an opportunity to give people that, to give us a reminder of all the things that we took for granted that we had before and that we were maybe working on or working towards. And to remind us during this time that like, we're not going to complain about when X, Y, Z happens because we're just happy to have it back and we appreciate it so much more. So Hopefully people are able to take like little things out of this trying time for sure. And in the future, when we're back to normal, maybe appreciate it more. Yes. Agreed. 100%. Well, the positive thing, it's allowed me to sit down with you. So yes, <laughs> right? I so appreciate this. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. In the world today, it's never been easier to compare your life to not only your friends, but also to so many people who are active on social media. And while there's definitely an aspect that understanding how you measure up can help you determine what is needed to reach certain goals, but it's unfortunately too often that we all fall into the trap that Kelsey describes where it's very easy of crossing that line where you wish you had what other people had. And you'll quickly see how those comparisons truly are the thief of joy. Now that finishes episode 137. And you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.